Hello everyone and welcome to part two of this podcast series on intergenerational wealth. I'm Ian Horn, Head of UK Audience Development at CityWire, and I'm joined by John Porteous, Group Head of Distribution at Charles Stanley, as well as Ben Alcock, Chartered Financial Planner at Continuum. In this episode, we're going to discuss the transition of wealth between generations and how financial planners can make sure that wealth is passed on effectively. Ben, I'd like to start this one with an advisor's perspective. So before we look at the actual transfer of wealth, uh, let's look at something really fundamental. Uh, So why is it, Ben, that people usually look to arrange a transfer of wealth? Well, there's a number of reasons, Ian, and each reason is personal to that individual client. Um, There could be, you know, concerns about making sure their money, which they worked hard for over the years, goes to their loved ones and not to the government. They want to be in control of how the money is distributed and they want to make sure that it goes to somebody in their family. And so they want to make sure the family's got the benefit of it. But also they want to make sure that their family's looked after. They want to make sure that um, their family has that security and is given the opportunities in life. And that may be you know, gifts during a lifetime so they can help with education, um, mm-hmm. travel, um, set them up on the housing ladder. There could be all sorts of reasons um, why they would do it. But basically, they just want to make sure that money is going to their loved ones at the right time. Mm-hmm. And actually, I think you've, you've covered off my next question quite well. And my next question really is, is why people make these arrangements. Um, I, I suppose you've kind of hit the nail on the head with making sure money passes to the right people. Um, but John, is there anything else you would add about you know, why people are, are looking to make transfers of wealth? I think Ben's uh, summed it up really nicely. Uh, I think it's about, you know, making sure that the right assets pass to the right people at the right time. And of course, there are a number of uh, legal instruments, you know, your will and uh, various trusts that, that can actually facilitate about that. But I think also there's there's the discussion. There's a discussion that sort of precedes that, which is, um, you know, very rarely uh, is somebody mentally in a state where they can set out everything that they want and how they want for it to be apportioned straight off the bat. And really the whole intergenerational wealth discussion is around the, the proceeding is, is around how you actually proceed the trusts mm-hmm. and the wills. You know, it's why are you doing this and how are you engaging your family in that? Um, and why can you do this in a way that doesn't result in the usual sort of emotional tensions that seem to to, to follow some of these uh, events. Mm-hmm. And you know, to take this back a step, uh, and Ben, to go back to you, do you think clients often think about the why? Do you think they've actually put a lot of thought into this before a kind of big event happens? I think it's um, a process really, Ian. I don't know if they, they wake up one morning and say, I need to do something about this. I think the seeds need to be sown um, over a number of years, really. So they need to start thinking about it um, years in advance and that's part of the job of the advisor so like to sort of like you know promote these mm-hmm. ideas so they're aware that these are coming down the line at some point in time so it's never a surprise people don't generally like well people like fun surprises but they mm-hmm. don't like unexpected surprises which cause them to deviate from what they thought they could do and so they need to think okay well we know we're getting older we know our children are going to be getting to the stage where they want to buy a house or you know they might need um, help with um, their grandchildren's education, etc. So th- these aren't really surprises, but they need to sort of plan and start thinking, okay, 
I'm going to have to, I want to do something about this. And so um, they're prepared, as John said, they're prepared mentally and emotionally to start gifting money away and making sure they're in a secure place themselves to be able to do that with confidence. Mm-hmm. And so they can see that they're able to benefit people during their lifetime. Yeah, I think you're spot on that generally a proactive approach is is beneficial. But are there any, um, and John, I'll, I'll put this to you, are there any life events in particular that you find uh, inspire clients to discuss wealth transfer? Uh, I, sometimes it's not even their life events. It's being around life events happening elsewhere. I mean, if you take COVID in 2020, you know, this dystopian year that we're trudging our way through. Um, I, you know, I think that if you look at what's happening to society, as you, you know from other podcasts, I've had this contention that we're in a what if generation where more people are probably asking themselves what if now than, mm-hmm. than have, you know, has historically been the case in point because of what is happening. So yes, you have your own life events, but taking Ben's point, you know, when when it's all about being proactive, you don't wait for something to happen in your own life. You take something from your wider set of experiences and use that as a trigger point. And it could even be really good questions from your financial planner. You know, mm-hmm. it, uh, it could be a financial planner. I know a number of them use um, storytelling, you know, and they convey things in the context of stories to help engage their clients. And then, you know, sort of have that conversation saying, have you done something like this? Have you considered this? Or what would happen to you and your family if this set of circumstances occur? Um, And that can be a trigger point for people to act. John, I think think you're spot on. I think a high quality financial planner can make these conversations happen. Um, But I guess the macro kind of situation, the environment we're in is also hard to ignore. Uh, And you also pointed out COVID, which I think is an important point. Ben, from your perspective of, do you think clients have changed their attitude towards wealth transfer or at least have wanted to talk about it more, uh, you know, during this pandemic? I think um, to a degree, yes. I don't think necessarily a lot of clients I come across are sort of like <clears throat> necessarily fearing more to think about their own mortality. I think they're more thinking about the impact of COVID on their family. So, you know, they're thinking, OK, um, my son or daughter's been furloughed. You know, what's that going to be affecting mm-hmm. them financially or the job they're in um, doesn't exist anymore. What help can I give them to retrain to maybe give them a bit of a buffer so they've got some time, be able to take some time out to retrain or refocus or help them start a business? It's just having that peace of mind that their family are going to be taken care of. And um, if they've got the ability to be able to take care of them, as long as they're secure in the knowledge that they're going to be all right themselves, then yeah, the, the COVID has sort of like promoted thinking, okay, well, I need to see them being helped now when it's most important to them. Mm-hmm. And Ben, I'd like to stick with you and to move this on again, a timing question, but one about the actual planning itself, rather than when you have the conversation. Um, you know, how do you decide when a wealth transfer should start? Uh, and how do you make sure you make good decisions on this? I mean, bearing in mind that, um, you know, younger clients might, might need assistance if they try and get on the housing ladder at the same time, older clients are probably living longer than they ever have done before, they might have greater needs for care home fees, things like that, later life care. Um, they also have longer retirements. So how do you make sure you get the timing right of when the wealth transfer actually starts? Okay, well, first and foremost, your priority is to your client in front of you who you're dealing with. Before they start about giving money away themselves, they need to make sure that they've got the um, peace of mind, that they the money to last them throughout their lifetimes. Yeah. And sometimes um, they can put it both ways. Sometimes they think they can give away more than they actually can. And sometimes you have to suggest to them you might want to consider reining it in a little bit because it's a real emotional pull for the parents want to support their sons and daughters. And sometimes you do see examples where they're giving possibly more 
and they can afford to, but they want to, they feel that's so important to them. And so it's very, 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 you have to be very, very careful in the way you sort of like show that to clients. You have to demonstrate that, okay, this may not be as sustainable as you think, and you can only help others if you're in a position of strength yourself. So, mm-hmm. and, and by the same token, some people are scared to give money away because they think, you know, I never know, I might need this, I might need this, what if, what if, what if? So it's a question of doing the total financial plan for them, looking at what they've got, proving to them where their guaranteed source of income are. Um, you know, many of them have got guaranteed pensions now, they're not going to disappear. And uh, whether, you know, a lot of people still have final salary pensions that are drawn income from or annuities. And so they've got some guaranteed pension along with the state pension. And um, they've got a lot of good savings. So you need mm-hmm. to show them with cash flow modeling that can really help to say, okay, this is where we're at. This is how much you're spending. This is how much your money should last for. So if we remove X amount from that, and if we put that as a gift to your descendants, then well, how will that affect you? Will you be okay? And the cash flow modeling can really demonstrate and illustrate to clients that yes, they will be okay. So the cash flow modeling makes it makes a big difference to it, but also like showing them over and preparing them over a number of years. So your mm-hmm. your son or daughter, they're going to be looking to buy a house in five years time. Okay, well, what would you like to do for them? Would you like to help them? Okay, let's start planning towards that now. And showing them how much they've got this year compared to last year. So showing them, you know, well, you were worried that you didn't have enough money, but look how much you've wealth, how much wealth you have now through saving disposable income on your investments growing compared to last year, compared to five years. So it's having a record of how what where they've been and where they're at now and the cash flow can also mm-hmm. help project where they're going in the future mm-hmm. and, and again i think you've been really comprehensive there ben but, but john i also know the book of stories report covers a lot of these issues is there anything you would add to to what ben said there i'm a huge fan of cash flow and i think that what cash flow does is it it, it really um helps clients visualize you know uh, not just what the future can look like but a series of what ifs and scenarios along the way. And I think that's incredibly powerful because um, that, that, that kind of really um, conveys it in ways that uh, most people can understand. What I would certainly add to around that is uh, I alluded to um, earlier, which is you know, the, the storytelling piece, the effect of questioning, um, because I think that there's a lot of soft skills that come into this particular marketplace which, um, you know, to enter into uh, uh, intergenerational wealth discussions, which are a real barrier, for, uh, barrier to entry for many advisors. And I think, um, I think we, we discussed in one of our uh, podcasts, sometimes people like to see uh, individuals of a certain generation that have had similar uh, life experiences so that they can provide real empathy. Um, and then I think um, there was also another um, point that we made in our discussions previously, where it's important to leave your own preconceptions at the door. So whilst I think that the point around cash flow is really well made and one that I would really support, I think also there's a lot of soft skills, EQ, if you will, Mm -hmm. which provide the context to to be granted the opportunity to have the discussion. Mm -hmm. I think you're absolutely right that it is very much an emotional intelligence thing and having these conversations. But uh, to, to go back onto the cash flow planning uh, quickly, how often do we have to test the assumptions made by cash flow software too? Because, you know, historically, some of the old software was was quite linear, would give you a yes or a no answer. In reality, that's that's not how things work out. So, so John, how do you make sure you can kind of trust your cash flow software? And, and also, how do you convey to clients that, you know, there's a percentage chance that something will work out rather than it being as simple as yes or no? 
Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I think there's a couple of things here. One, um, you know, cash flow is as good as the underlying assumptions that you plug into it. You know, it, it, it is a it is a visual, uh, physical and visual manifestation of those assumptions. One, I think two, uh, really skilled uh, financial planners, and I think Ben was illustrating this earlier, uh, are able to overlay that cash flow with the right type of conversation so that people can understand really what it what it is showing you so i kind of view cash flow not as the answer in and of itself but it, it, it is a tool that the good planner uses to open out i mean for example i've seen uh, really good planners lose their way and completely confuse clients with cash flow modeling that's too complex mm -hmm. because we shouldn't assume that every single one of our clients has got a mathematics you know phd and can yeah. understand multiple cash flows i think it's all about using it in the right context in the right way for the right people based upon their uh, the way that they like to visualize things and the way that they like to take on board information mm -hmm. um another thing as well on the interpersonal side and ben uh, this is for you um do clients ever actually start the conversation on wealth transfer or is it something that often goes undiscussed unless the advisor jumps in well yeah obviously it depends on each individual client and circumstances and i guess this um falls on quite well, from what John was saying before um, about the emotional intelligence um, when speaking to people about this area, because it's a very, very emotional um, topic, really. Because on one hand, you're talking about, and when you're talking about legacy, you are in a way sort of, sort of thinking about your own mortality, etc. And um, you know, nobody wants to think about that and mm -hmm. um, too much. But then again, they have to. They want clients want to make things easy for their for their sons and daughters you know it's a very very um distressing situation when somebody passes and when you have to deal with an estate and you know the administration of it all it can be very very overwhelming for people and so some some clients are sensitive to that and um they've seen friends go through it the older people get the more chance they've seen like friends family members passing away and they've seen how much complication and um, heartache that can cause and when that does happen, it sort of triggers the question, okay, well, how can I make it as easy and straightforward for my family as possible? Mm -hmm. how, can I, how can I take away the burden from them um, from a financial perspective? You know, so they want to put their affairs in order where things are straightforward so the family understand what they've got and, um, mm -hmm. and how it works. And what, what's, 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 so there's no surprise from that perspective. So sometimes mm -hmm. clients are thinking about it. Sometimes they're thinking about it, as we said before, because there's a key trigger, like um, looking to get on the housing ladder for the sons and daughters or, you know, a new birth in the family, etc. But then again, some people don't want to consider it. And mm. that's why you, as a planner, you need to just like, it's a journey along the way, you know, you, you build and build, say, okay, what would you like to do for your family? How do you feel about passing things on? Is now the time? Maybe that's something we can look about in a couple of years time. So they'll be, they'll come to it when they're ready, but you just need to give them the opportunity to consider it. And so that when they are in a place to do it, there's no surprise they're better prepared to be able to do it and they can put the most um, appropriate solutions in place for their family and, and most importantly for themselves. So it's a bit of both. Sometimes they come to you, but other times it's just prompting them along and just making sure when they are ready, there are solutions out there and they'll be mm -hmm. the right solutions for them. Mm -hmm. and, and let's look at uh, inheritance tax now, um, because that's obviously a massive topic. It was one of the first things you, you brought up from if I'm right, Ben, uh, when we started talking about this, how, how do you make sure that clients make the right decisions around IHT? Well, first of all, they have to, um, not, nobody's got an IHT issue, but more and more so um, people are having, um, especially with house prices going up. So it's becoming a, more of a consideration for more people. 
So they have to, first of all, understand whether or not they do have an issue with inheritance tax. Mm -hmm. And then they have to understand what it means. And so it's a case of when you do the annual review or when you meet client for the first time, just understanding what their assets are and giving them a clear understanding about what that means. This means mm -hmm. that X number of pounds is going to go to the taxman as things stand at the moment. How do you feel about that? And most people um, don't feel too good about that. Some people do. I've had plenty of clients say, yeah, I'm happy for more of it to go to the government, you know, um, you know um, and that's fine. But how would you, would you prefer, how would you feel if it went, if it could go to your family, more of it could go to your family? And most of say, yeah, I think that sounds, that sounds right. So once you lay out the actual size of the inheritance tax liability to them, and once you um, prove to them, demonstrate to them and reassure them that there are solutions, then, then they're happy to explore that. And there's, there's lots of different solutions. You know, some people might want to not want to do too much to begin with, but they can just dip their toe into it with like smaller gifts, you know, regular gifts out of income perhaps, or the, you know, the £3,000 annual exemption, or you know, dip their toe in the loan trust. Once they've got a feel for it, and once they've built up the confidence, they can do more later on. It doesn't have to be all or nothing at the beginning. It's just building up that understanding, building up that confidence, and then just reassuring that there are solutions that can help yeah. them. And uh, John, do you have any views on, on IHT and, and things that people often don't consider? Are there any areas of this that people kind of commonly overlook? Uh, well, I think the thing about IHT for me is um, it's, it's probably not the, level, the most level playing field because, you know, it is a tax that could be reviewed as indeed most of them could be reviewed in the foreseeable. So I do, you know, I have a lot of empathy with what Ben is saying, which is, you know, talking around this um, that rather than the real specifics, talking around the broader concepts and getting people to, to start on a journey during their, their lifetime, I think is, is particularly um, powerful. I always found that in certain situations that um, HMRC could be the single largest beneficiary of someone's estate if left unplanned. And that tended to be quite a significant trigger for action, you know, when you, you look at it that way. But ultimately, I, I think when it comes to IHT, it links to the very start of our discussion today, which is, you know, do, do you want to ensure um, that the maximum amount of your estate and your wealth and your possessions finds themselves in the hands that you want to pass them into in the right way when the time comes? Mm -hmm. And in my experience, that tends to, that tends to get people thinking. Yeah. Absolutely. And uh, to take a slightly morbid turn with it, let's look at wills. Uh, we know this has been a very good year to be a will writer, um, especially with everything that's been going on. Um, but John, do most clients actually have a will? Uh, and what considerations should financial planners have around this? Uh, well, I, I still think, um, you know, there's a, a significant proportion of the population that doesn't have a will. I think you've just outlined it yourself, Ian. You know, you, will writers wouldn't be as busy. But all, I mean, there's two things. One is the importance of having a will. And two, there's an importance of reviewing a will because, you know, we don't live in straight lines. You know, things evolve and things change and we need to make sure that these are up to date. But, you know, I go all the way back. I mean, I can't remember how many years ago when I got my CFP license personally. And, you know, at that time, the wills, powers of attorney, all these sorts of things were incredibly important to raise with clients then. And they're just as important, if not more important now. Mm -hmm. uh, and Ben, just to bring you in here, um, have, you, have you seen an uptick in demand for wills or have you been discussing wills more with clients? A lot of my clients are um, age 60 plus um, and a lot of them do have wills in place and have done for a number of years. But as John said, 
most of the wills aren't up to date. You know, there's a lot of changes which have happened um, over the years um, in their lives and they do need to be revisited and it's um, the financial planner will prompt that for the client. Um, a lot of, lot of people taking out a will is a box ticking exercise. They've done it and they think it's all sorted, but they need to be adapted. They need to evolve. And also a lot of, as John mentioned again, lasting power of attorneys, a lot of people don't have lasting power of attorneys and that's something which they need to bring consideration to. I think a lot of the, I think there is a big gap in wills for people, particularly under the age of 60, you know, they, they just don't, they don't want to think about it. They don't get around to doing this. Everybody's lives are really, really busy. And often mm-hmm. wills are the last thing on the list to do. Some people don't like to think about making a will. Um, mm-hmm. But once it's done, it's done. And that's a big tick in the box, but it doesn't end there. They need to keep making sure it's still up to date. Yeah, exactly. I think that's a really good point. Would you go as far as to include a, you know, a question about the will every year in a review? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, definitely. You know, you just need to check where they're up. So you might, you can, dangerous can be complacent both you and the client thinking well i know you've got a will um you mm-hmm. ask it every single year but things could have changed you know things could have changed not just um circumstances but also outlooks and opinions you know um yeah or even they could be like charities they want to give money to now you know so just making sure are you happy that it's your will is set up so your money goes to the people in mm-hmm. the right way that you'd like it to mm-hmm. and and to go from the kind of horrible topic of death and wills uh, to something nicer which is gifting um you know how do you make sure you properly understand what the client wants because you know some people want to be alive to see other people spend the money and get benefit from it other people would rather pass it on upon their own passing um you know so ben how do you make sure them conversations are good and also is it a conversation uh, that should be had with the beneficiaries around or should they be kept out of it to be a good financial planner you need to understand the client and what their values are what their goals are what's important to them and you begin to get a real sense of what they value by asking the question building up that relationship over time so you get to understand you know how supportive they are um, of their family and some people want their family to stand on their own two feet so they think well you know i don't want to give anything until i've gone i didn't get anything myself till then so you know they, they'll have to wait but other people you can see they really want to do something about it now but they sometimes don't think they, they can they don't realize they can but there's lots of ways they can do it and your job is not just to say give someone into trust for them but your your job is to say well how would you like to do it? what's going to give you the most enjoyment and um, going to make you feel most fulfilled is it giving them something during your lifetime so you can see that money being put to good use and when they actually need it for so much um so many legacies um you, you hear about when you hear your own clients they've inherited some money and they say you know, I could have done with this money really, you know, mm-hmm. 10, 15, 20 years ago, that would have been more useful to us. And so they see that and think, well, maybe we should benefit our family in that way when we pass money on. So it's understanding what's important to the client. And I think another way of doing it is, um, you know, thinking outside the box and rather than just gifting money, whether it's in trust or outright, it's you know, going on holidays with your family, treat them all mm-hmm. to a big family holiday. I've seen clients do that, which you know, brings everybody great memories and experiences. It can be helping with educational costs. It could even be lending money. They, they might not want their sons and daughters to, you know, to have it all handed them on the plate. So they could lend money to money. It could be, um, could be an interest-free loan and um, they could pay the money back in monthly installments and that money which gets paid back, they could reinvest that into a trust or a pension for them as well. So they're still gifting money, but they don't feel they've given it outright. So there's lots of different ways you can give the money. Whether or not the beneficiary should be involved in that process, that's a personal decision, really. Um, what I would say is, I think it's important 
it's you know we do have to focus on the client whose money it is and make sure they're all right before they pass it on but also we have to bear in mind that people who will receive the inheritances it's a big deal for them to receive an inheritance and sometimes they're not prepared for it mm -hmm. um, there's a lot of emotion around um, the circumstances of receiving an inheritance when somebody passed away and they're suddenly landed with a lump of money and they don't know what to do with it they've never had this amount of money before and they're trying to grieve at the same time and trying to make a wise decision with the money thinking well I've got lots of responsibility in this money. I need to use it wisely. It's a gift from my parents um, who have now sadly passed. So I want to honour them by doing the right thing for them. So mm -hmm. sometimes it's good for the beneficiary to know what they expect and start like educating them about how money works and you know that it will be all right. There are solutions out there for you. And so you know it's not a big surprise for them um, when mm -hmm. they do inherit. Yeah, I think that's all really useful. And I particularly like the idea of the, the holiday rather than a gift. I think that's quite quite a nice way to do things um john now the book of stories research does it point out any particularly interesting examples on, on gifting or any kind of anecdotes that we can probably learn from well i think the the important thing is the book of stories is exactly what it says it is it is a book of stories and detailed research and i think the the really important thing is rather than any individual anecdotes it's built of stories just like the conversations that ben and i have had today from financial planners and professionals in this space up and down the country. What, um, what I would say that really comes out of it very strongly is a point that both Ben and I have been making, which is um, these discussions are idiosyncratic. No two people do things the same way. In fact, you would see the, the, the differences between how, how people talk about money, how they define wealth, and how they go about just in the way that Ben was talking about there, you know, do you how do you want to honor your parents? Do you do you want to have a do you want to have a big holiday because you want to put a smile on everybody's face? Do you want to do what is right by your parents? These are all so very, very, very different across across the, the piece of research. The one thing I would say that it talks to is ensuring that everybody has a mutual understanding of what what good looks like because there's a lot of emotion and a lot of trauma after the event if you're trying to second guess that. Mm -hmm. uh, and to move on to my final question, um, are there scenarios where you would not advise a wealth transfer? Because I think it might just be taken as a given that people will want to pass wealth on to the next generation, but I suspect there are times where that's e you know, either not advisable or not wanted. Um, so what are those scenarios, Ben? The obvious one is when you know, the client's going to um, jeopardise their own financial security or peace of mind um, by, by moving money from their estate to somebody else. But also, they, they may well be in a position to gift money, and it's quite clear that they can, but they might not feel they, they, they might not feel confident enough to do so. It might leave them worrying and stuff, no matter how much you prove to them, whether it's with cash flow modeling, um, questioning, um, you know, evidence in how much savings they've got. They just might not feel comfortable doing it. They might be worried about, you know, will they have enough? They might still be worried about running out of money. And, you know, there's nothing as valuable as peace of mind. So if it's going to cause them too much um, stress or worry, then you don't have to be pushing that as a burden onto them. You know, they have to do it when they're ready to do it. It's mm -hmm. so important. They have, should only do it when they're prepared to do it and they're ready to do it and they feel confident and comfortable doing it. Um, the other one is if, if they don't like their beneficiaries. Yeah, you know, yeah, yeah a good point. Um, and also, if they feel like um, if they feel like the beneficiaries aren't ready for it, you know, because they don't think they'll use a legacy as well as they might hope to, really. Um, so again, going back to sort of involving the beneficiaries, I think um, 
there's lots to be said for involving them so they understand money and both parties can have the confidence that it will be used wisely. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think those circumstances is when you might want to delay it and just until a time when it is right for all parties. Mm-hmm. Uh, an interesting kind of challenge here is that advisors have to ask difficult questions, have to get stuck in. And at the same time, there are some questions that you probably should never ask. Um, so how much do you need to know about the beneficiaries um, if you're speaking to a client, Ben? First and foremost, you listen to the client in front of you. You get you get a feel for how they um, feel about things. And, you know, there's so many different solutions out there that there will be the right solution one way or another, which one of the solutions could be just waiting. Other solutions can be put in trust until... Um, they believe the beneficiaries are ready to use them, use the money wisely. Um, so you get a feel for it over the over a number of um, meetings. You know, what's what's important, what's right, what the final family dynamic is, and as John was saying before, every situation is unique. Um, so you just have to just be patient and um, ask the right questions. And mm-hmm. when the time's right, then they'll they'll do the right planning, put the right planning in place. You just have to give them the option to do it and give them the confidence that there are solutions out there for them. Mm-hmm. Uh, and John, just to bring you in on this, you know, what, what are your views on kind of scenarios where a wealth transfer is, is the wrong option? Uh, and, and how do you think advisors should handle it? Um, well, I, I think Ben's covered most of this. I mean, I, I would just add to, to the point that sometimes the next generation relationships can be sufficiently um, fragmented or tense that you may feel that it's inappropriate to, for example, give a family whose uh, marriage is in trouble mm-hmm. a lifetime gift. That that might feel potentially as inappropriate. Also, it may well be that the next generation have already made their way or sufficient gifts were made earlier in their life, and therefore there's often a lot to be said for skipping a generation um, and kind of giving the, the money down to grandchildren and getting them on the property ladder, as we all know the difference between boomers and um, you know millennials and then down to, to, to Gen Z. The, the, the financial challenges that they face are, are very, very different. So I think a lot of these things are, um, you know, are, are very real. You asked a really, really, really good question, I thought, of Ben earlier, which is, you know, how well do you have to know the beneficiaries and i think if you are if you're the planner and you're in these discussions and you're advising the client as objectively as you possibly can you do need to have a good understanding of the beneficiary position as well um otherwise there's the potential that if you like the overarching narrative and the emotion of how somebody feels really really rules the day and often emotional decisions don't always turn out to be the best ones in the long run Mm-hmm. Yeah. Also, just just adding on to that, um, you know, no, understanding the beneficiaries can also um, you know give you a bit of guidance about what type of gift you should give. Like, for instance, if you know um, one of the beneficiaries is a higher rate taxpayer, you might think, well, potentially, you know, saying to your son or daughter, "I'm going to give you a gift, but I'd like this to be paid into a pension," because then you know you could benefit from higher rate tax relief. You know, and it could be a really effective gift. So it's about tailoring the solutions to. Um, your client and the client's beneficiaries as much as possible. And also, I think it's it's important to understand and accept that, um, you know, there's a lot of assumptions made um, when it comes to the families, et cetera. So parents might think that their son or daughter, they might think that, you know, they're really doing well financially. 
mm-hmm. but they might not be. And so the dangers could be they could say, oh, well, you know, my, my son doesn't need the money, but my daughter does. So um, we're going to give more to her. And then that can, that can bring up issues there because they say, well, that's not actually the situation. Why, why are they favoring one over the other? So I think this, this intergenerational piece is something which needs a lot of thought over a number of years so that all family members um, understand each other as far as possible. And, um, and it's just having open, honest conversations. Um, and, you know, if, if people are ready to talk about it, then great. If they're not, then so be it. But it just needs to be aware of what, what's, what this position could be going forward. And um, just make sure they know, they understand they don't know everything, but um, there are options there. So it's a case of giving a lot of thought. Mm-hmm. I think you're right. It's an open and ongoing conversation across generations. So it's not not easy, but I think there's some good pointers uh, been delivered here to help people do all that. Um, that is unfortunately all we have time for. But, but John, Ben, thank you for joining me. Um, this has been part two of our podcast series with Charles Stanley on intergenerational wealth. Do join us for part three, where we're going to look at the big demographic shifts that will reshape wealth dynamic between generations. Goodbye for now.